podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome back to the Masterclass, the Manchester United Tactical Podcast. I'm Haydar Rabani. I'm, I'm your host as ever today. Manchester United have won 4-0, fantastic performance in Europe. They've put that tie pretty much to bed. I don't want to say they've done it fully until obviously the second tie is over, but a very, very fluid performance on the front foot. Rob, welcome back. What did you make of tonight's performance? It was a good performance. Obviously, when you win... With that kind of scoreline, you're not going to complain. I think it started off a bit precariously. The defence looked a little bit shaky, I think, in those first 20, 25 minutes. And I think if United concede in that period, this could be a very, very different football match. But what was good today was that Ole recognised that the counter-attack was the way to go. That's how you beat this Real Sociedad team. They give you space in between, uh, in between the lines and certainly behind their defence. And United exploited that to uh, a standard that we've seen in the past from United when they're fully going full counter-attack last season. We've not seen it as much this year, but it was refreshing to see them kind of let themselves go a little bit and really kind of go for the killer punch. And it was an excellent result at the end of the day. A lot of talk before the game about the selection. I thought it was pretty spot on. I think one of the positives is Oli was able to rest and rotate, but also he had a few injury problems. So considering all those things, a strong side and they put in a really good performance. I mean, just looking at Dan James, 8.5. You've got Bruno with a 9.1. Rashford, all the front three. And I thought Greenwood had a fantastic game as well today, looking very fluid and uh, causing a lot of problems for Sociedad, as you mentioned, with the high line. There was a lot of space behind and that's what United did really, really well. So what were your thoughts on the selection and what stood out to you? 4-2-3-1 is obviously on a standard and we see that pretty much every week now. Uh, I think with the double pivot, it picks itself. I say it every week. I think McFred is, is who you put in there now, especially for these types of games. And then you allow the front four to go hunting. Um, I think Greenwood as the number nine today. I wasn't overly impressed. I thought he did well when he moved wide and went into the channels. And you saw that he got one or two shots off in the second half. But I still kind of think that as a number nine, his movement's not fantastic. He's kind of pushing up against the last man. He obviously doesn't play with his back to goal or anything like that. But he had a good game. I'm not going to criticise him when Man United have scored four goals. He'll feel bad today that he hasn't got on the score sheet when United made those opportunities. Um, but I think Ole really did work out the fact that when you look at Sociedad's system and how they like to play, that if you allow them to kind of do a Man City on you, put the ball on the deck, progress through the lines, get onto your back four, as we saw in the first 20 minutes, then this could have been a, a dangerous match to to navigate. But United were really good in the second half in terms of how they managed the scenario. And we've said this, haven't we, the last few weeks in games where United have failed. We said that kind of in-game management for the... I'm talking about the players, not necessarily Ole, has been poor. Whereas I think today, the players got it right. And as soon as they found that there was those opportunities to exploit on the counter-attack, they did it viciously. And I think you've only got to look at Fred's pass for Marcus's goal shows how you can cut a team open from back to front in the blink of an eye. Uh, and that was really, really great to see. One of the things I always say, Rob, about this Manchester United side is that on the transition, 
there aren't many teams around in in world football probably they're really really devastating they've got fast players you know quick uh, skillful and that's what we saw today we counterattacked and it's what's helped what's well it's what Oli's been very very good at especially in the big games in the last couple of years i mean this is where the strengths are with this united side when they're asked to maybe play the ball have more possession i do think that that's where we struggle but today, I mean, against a side who dominated possession 59%, who passed the ball around nicely, they're, you know, they're a silky side. But United just completely exploited their deficiencies. I mean, what we did well as well is that uh, we we were quite crisp when we were on the counter. I think looking at it, 83% passing as well is, is a good return. So this is when we see this United side really play like a side that can hurt teams. Yes, I think, you know, the first 20 minutes, United were trying to do what they felt they needed to do. That was kind of pass the ball and look after it, look after the actual, um, their kind of phases of play. And I think once they kind of let go of that after 20 or 25 minutes, the game unfolded naturally. Now, I agree with what you're saying. United are a dangerous counter-attacking team. But certainly, I think this season, we've seen that Ole is trying to move away from that. Why is this? It's because counter-attacking teams generally don't win trophies. It's just the truth. You can hurt teams, you can score goals, you can win matches, but it's very, very difficult to do it every week because it's high energy. It's a tough kind of mental aspect to do all the time and get it right. And of course, if you don't look after the ball, what happens? Better teams beat you. So today, you play Real Sociedad, who are a good team. There's no doubt about it. They've done well in La Liga this year. They were top at one point. Uh, They're not in the top four at the moment. But when you look at how they want to play, it's about ball retention. It's about moving the ball forward. And I thought in that first 20 minutes, you know, in terms of Baye's position, in terms of Wambasaka's position, that it looked like United might get cut open. Thankfully, they didn't. And the counter-attack was the perfect tactic today. So when we talk about a masterclass and how to do something, this is what Man United would have planned to do against this team. And really what happened was that Rio Sociedad realised, I think especially in the second half, that he just couldn't keep up with United. Anything they tried, as soon as they tried to move forward, and United had that kind of, it wasn't a low block, but it certainly was some kind of block, a lower block than what you would expect. Having McTominay there and having Fred there allowed United to get the ball forward to the front four really, really quickly. And they did that. It was effective. Marcus Rashford should have had a hat-trick today. Let's not kind of beat any bones about that. You know, he did score one goal today and that was great. And he had also a good assist, but two real guilt-edged opportunities that he should have scored from. But overall, a really, really good result for United and a kind of confidence-boosting performance. I think after the last few weeks where they've had a few disappointments in the Premier League, they'll feel good about themselves tonight. They'll fly home from Turin and they'll be ready for the next match. That's the key, Rob. For me, massively. I mean, it's been a it's been a difficult couple of weeks. One win in four, almost a, you know the derailing of the title race. Uh, so United really needed to score. They really needed to get back in form, and I think it was a fantastic performance. Helly's read my mind. Daniel James was so good today. Delighted he scored. Let's talk about Dan James, Rob, because Dan James is obviously there's always got to be a scapegoat at Manchester United with the fans, and Dan James is the, the scapegoat at the moment. Uh, I think you can also count Martial amongst others. But I thought he was very good today. When you play a side that is going to play a high line and, and you're going to play counter-attacking football, Dan James is perfect for that role. Now, we saw Dan James on the right, Marcus on the left, where I think Marcus is better personally. I think he looks more comfortable there. 
And uh, we'll talk about Marcus a bit more later. And obviously Mason up top, which was great to see. But uh, James got his goal. I thought he, I thought he stretched Sociedad very, very well. I thought he worked hard. He tracked back as well. I mean, what were you impressed with, Dan James? And he has a place in the squad, doesn't he, Rob? When you want to play more of a pure counter-attacking game, someone like Dan James is invaluable and different to some of the options you have in the squad, where a lot of the, the wide players, I feel they like to take ball to feet rather than make runs in behind. Well, what is Dan James? He's quick. So if you're playing pure counter-attack and you're taking as kind of punches on the ropes as a boxer leaning back and you're looking to just spring forward and get out as quick as you can then what what do you want? You want someone who's really, really quick. I think for Dan James, in terms of his own development, he needs minutes, he needs to play. And if he is in your squad, then you really should consider using him. And I think it's more likely that you'll see him in the Europa League and these kind of games where you can play proper counter-attack because United can't play this brand of counter-attack against Premier League teams because they mop it all up. It's really, really difficult. And that's why United got so far last year, but, you know, third is probably the ceiling if you want to go further you've got to play a bit more football Uh, I think with Dan James and you know we talk about Twitter and people's reactions and how they are obviously going into this game United fans not particularly confident it's been a two or three games where United have underachieved so people feel a bit down on themselves and they see Dan James on the team sheet and what do they do it's immediately sad face and the problem is with sad face is that you've got to kind of look through it and think why is this being put in front of me why has Ole picked this team I think the result shows exactly why Ole picked this team and why Dan James is part of this squad he has been given plaudits this year lots of things coming out United in terms of his own development that in training he's he's come on he's a, a much more potent attacking force just look at the actual goal he scored it's late in the game it's the end effectively he gets a run at goal but he does everything right you know he's direct he doesn't really kind of overthink it I sometimes think uh, players who come in and out of the team overthink their move their movement and what they're supposed to do in the moment uh, but he didn't do that and he obviously scored the goal before where, which was given offside when Mason was ca- uh, caught just offside by uh, a hair's breadth um, but then he gets that chance at the end and he slots it away and I'm really pleased for him because you want your squad players to kind of, when they get the chance to step up, that they take that opportunity in front of the fans. And this is what, say, Donny van der Beek hasn't done. You know, you only get these kind of chances to start now and then, and you might get 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there, but you've got to make an impression. Dan James has showed his manager today that if Marcus Rashford gets injured next week, or Martial gets injured next week, or that we see Mason kind of have to drop out the team because he gets injured or he's not well or something or something or something that Dan James is ready to step up. It doesn't mean that he'll be successful. However, it shows that he's ready, you know. So I think he showed that today. I think it was a, a good selection by Ole to, to put him into the team. It gave Sociedad something to think about that they probably weren't prepared for, that someone with that straight line speed. We saw with um, with uh, Bruno when he released uh, Dan James on the right-hand side, that in a straight line, Dan James is going to scare you. Uh, and we saw that Real Sociedad didn't really have any pace in defence. So you get in behind them and you punish them. And I think the scoreline is a good one today. It means that in the next leg now, United can chop and change a little bit more. You might see Donny van der Beek. You might see players who who need an opportunity. You might see Ahmed make his first start and maybe even Shortier. But uh, we'll, we'll see. we'll see how it goes now. And I think that as as a four nil, it's going to make it's going to make the team just that little bit more relaxed now going forward because there was definitely some nerves in that first fifteen minutes. 
Yeah, very, very fair. I think um, <clears throat> you can probably say that there were times in that first half where defensively we were a bit shaky. I think that's fair to say. Although the 4-0 looks fantastic, there were times I don't think the, the defensive problems have suddenly been eradicated. But what Oli did well today, like I mentioned at the beginning, was he did rotate. So you saw Tellez get some much-needed minutes. Eric Bailly back in. Henderson played as well. Before we talk about um, buying Henderson, because I do want to touch on them. I thought Maguire was fantastic today, Rob. So I do want to. I do want to talk about him. I think <laughs> one of the funniest things was that he was actually covering for Bay for pace today. There was one instant, I believe, was it in the first half? Um, but I thought Maguire was very, very commanding at the back. Um, he was good on the ball today, uh, and Bruno Fernandez, obviously. I mean, he's just absolutely. His numbers are absolutely mind blowing. Thirty three goals, nineteen assists uh, since he's joined Manchester United. It's just absolutely un- unbelievable numbers, but. No Cavani today. Martial got a few minutes. Um, McFred played, but we managed to take uh, take them off for Matic. One of them, uh, McTominay for Matic. Um, so all in all, no Lindelof as well. We've rotated the squad well enough, and um, you know we can go into the Premier League now with a, a good win under our belt and uh, looking to go and build on this result. Yeah, I think for Maguire, this is the kind of performance that we have seen from him being fair to him for most of the season. You know, we t- we do criticise the centre-backs. We talk about pace a lot. And in the Premier League, the pace counts. Today, really, Sociedad played everything in front of Manchester United, certainly in that first half where they had more of the ball and they looked that, like they had more intent. And that's easy for Maguire. Maguire can do it when he has nothing going on behind him. Of course, you play by today. There was once or twice actually where by was the, the last defender kind of sprinting around the back, but he didn't have a lot of that to do today. Cause I think Sociedad didn't really have the impetus to get in behind Manchester and United sat very, very deep. That suits Maguire. Um, we can still talk about in the future about what Man United need at centre back. And I still under no illusions that I think they do need a new centre back and that's for the future. But today it was job done. Uh, the fact that they got a clean sheet as well, you know, way goals count here. It, it will mean something. You want to go into the next, uh, into the next round. And, and overall it was, com- it, there was kind of confidence that went through the team in that second half. And that was what I was worried about at halftime was that if Sociedad got a goal and it was say when, when, they got back in the game or found their way to to dominate the ball even more because obviously they had more possession. That it could have been a very, very different result. However, 4-0 was a good reflection of what Manchester United did today. Absolutely spot on, Rob. Let's touch on Henderson. Henderson came in and, well, clean sheet was fantastic. One of the things that stood out to me today, and while I have never, not been the highest on Henderson, I've got to give him massive credit. I thought he was solid, commanded the, his area very, very well. Uh, look, it's it's one game. I, I don't think we can turn around and say, oh, well, look, suddenly the centre-backs look a lot more assured. But what Henderson impressed me with today, Rob, was his long ball, his long game was good today. Now, we know one of his weaknesses is his short game, but he released, uh, you know, Fred for uh, for Rashford's goal, which was fantastic. And um, he's, has he given Oli something to think about? Because I think De Gea had a good game last time. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of talk about his position. Henderson's highly rated. Henderson wants to, he's, that's why he stayed because he wants that first team spot. Um, as Helly said here, Henderson was vocal as well. He does command his area better than, than uh, De Gea. You might lose a little bit with his ball playing ability, but um, all in all, very solid performance and definitely given Ollie something to think about. Yeah, of course. And I think in these scenarios in the cup, all he can do, Henderson, is keep clean sheets. 
that's all he can do. Keep clean sheets every week, every game that you play, and you will eventually get a chance in the Premier League. And this is the pressure for De Gea, isn't it, to manage? De Gea, I think for most of the season, again, we just talked about Maguire and his performances over the majority of the campaign have been good. You know, we can criticise him in the last two or three weeks. But it's been the same for De Gea, isn't it, up until very recently. He's been really, really good in the Premier League. He's not really made many mistakes in the start of the season. Uh, he kind of got over a little bit of a hump in the road uh, and started to to put performances together. I think Henderson is, in terms of Manchester United's eyes, he is the long-term number one. And really, it's about when do you pull the trigger? Is it going to be a case that you leave it this season and you, you allow De Gea to stay the number one? Or do you start the transition early? I agree. I think I think Henderson commands his area just a little bit more than De Gea. He's very vocal. De Gea is not not vocal, by the way. You know, you do hear, again, in these matches that De Gea is pretty loud out there. He does communicate with his defence. They're all very au fait about how De Gea wants the setup to be when they're at the back. But I think with Henderson, you, you sort of say just two or three opportunities when the ball came through, he is confident. He will come for the ball. He doesn't kind of, you know, he's no shrinking violet. He doesn't think. He does He does all of those instinctual things really, really well. He's a good, strong goalkeeper. On the deck, yeah, he might still have bits of his game to iron out. But as you said, I think he was really kind of progressive to the, how he got the ball forward into the halfway line quite quickly. And he allowed Manchester United to move up the pitch nice and progressively. Yeah, absolutely. One to keep an eye on. I think, uh, I do expect Holly to go back to the herring goal. Uh, and I expect Lindelof, if he's fit, to go back in the defence. I think that's one of the one of the key things that we see from Oli, Rob, is there is loyalty towards certain players. And I think we do know his first choice centre-back pairing is Maguire and Lindelof. Rightly or wrongly, that is what Oli's going to pick. And I do think De Gea will go back in. But let's touch on Marcus because what's great to see from Rashford this year is that he has definitely developed the rest of his game. I, th- you know, I think when he's outside the box he's fantastic he's direct um he's quick he's dangerous but one of the big criticisms and i don't want to linger too much on the criticisms because it's it's a four nil victory but we should talk about this is i think at times his decision making and his his finishing today in the first 20 minutes we had three big chances two for rashford one for mctominay we saw over the last two nights rob we've seen fantastic performances one from mbappe who's an absolute unbelievable talent and we've seen it from Haaland as well and we see Rashford compared to Mbappe especially Mbappe finishes both those opportunities doesn't he and one thing if if Marcus wants to get to the very very top if he wants to be considered world-class he needs to probably improve his his finishing a bit more clinical what I was very impressed to see from him today was his assist for for um, Bruno's first goal lovely ball from deep he developed that very very well at back in the last season but it's when he gets into the box, Rob, he's not clinical enough. Is that something you're a bit concerned about? Because it is something which is becoming a habit now. I think it's right to highlight it. But would I say I'm concerned about it? Not really. Why am I not concerned? I think it's because when you saw the, the goal that he did score, it shows you can finish. Yeah, it is there. It's in him somewhere. It's more about the decision making in the moment. So I think with those two chances that he did have in the, uh, earlier on in the game, he's got to score them. You're right. You know, you, I think when you kind of, it's a split second decision. You know, what do you do? Are you going to kind of roll it under the keeper? Are you going to lift it? Are you going to flick it to the side? Are you going to go round the goalkeeper? You've got those decisions to make in that moment. Now, I think in comparison terms, you, you just mentioned there Haaland and Mbappe. Uh, I think there's levels. 
And I think Marcus could become a world-class player. I think Marcus could go on to the next level in his career. Do I think he's on Mbappe's level? Mm, no, not really. Not being honest. Is he on Haaland's level or Haaland's potential as a striker, as a finisher? Well, certainly no. Haaland could well be the best finisher in Europe for the next 10 years. So I think Marcus is the kind of next echelon down. That doesn't mean he hasn't got a place at Manchester United or he shouldn't start or X, Y and Z. He should never play as a striker. One thing I will say, and you know, this is a tactical podcast, so I think we should highlight this, is that when you play the amount of positions that he plays in that forward line, left, right, centre, all over the place, basically, um, you're going to find that what suffers is your consistency. And that will be that you're just not maybe used to being on the end, you know, of that tip when that ball goes through and it's just you one-on-one and sometimes you can make mistakes. And I think we've seen that with Marcus. It's a, it is a continuing narrative. You know, we want him to be a better finisher, but like you highlighted there, and it's important, the rest of his games come on a hell of a lot. So that has value. And this is, I think, why he plays every week. It's not because he's exactly the guy you want on the end of the ball when uh, you're five yards out from goal and you think he's your finisher. We all know that, say, Mason is a better finisher. But Mason didn't score today in a 4-0 route. And Marcus did, and Marcus also got an assist. So it's all about the the rounded game and about the finishing stats rather than the disappointment within the match. Because I felt that at halftime, I was like, you know, Marcus has got to score those and we might might come back to haunt us. Well, it didn't come back to haunt us today. 4-0 was a good result and Marcus played his part. Yeah, agreed. I think maybe this is showing as well how how much or how highly Marcus is rated because this is a very good season for him goal-wise and assist-wise. He's putting up some fantastic numbers, but actually if you're looking at some of his performances, it's frustrating, but that's because I think he is highly rated. He can be a fantastic player and that's why you're seeing frustration at some of his decision-making and finishing, but he got his goal in the end. It was a good finish. He got an assist as well for Bruno. So all in all, happy days and hopefully he can carry this into the into the game on the weekend because United really need to get back to winning ways in the league. Rob, we're going to take some questions. Guys, get all your questions in. Thank you for all the interaction. It's been fantastic. One here from Tabitha. It is a very, very small sample size. It's something that I always say, but what did you think of Diallo? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Really? I mean, he didn't do anything noteworthy. He tracked back, uh, which was good. He's an exciting talent and sort of a follow-up because Tabitha's asked as well. With that bigger lead, do you think United can rest players in the second leg? Most definitely. Would you like to see Diallo start in that game? Potentially, but you know, let's wait and see what happens with the squad in the next game. You might find in- injuries might happen. You might find that you've got other players who you want to give minutes to. Uh, I think with Ahmed, I was glad he got a run out today. That was important. It's, I think it's nice to kind of make your debut, feel a part of the squad. Um, again, a bit like Dan James, we've heard lots of good things in training. He's been fantastic in training. Um, we also know, obviously, what he's been doing in the under-23. He's kind of made a real impression there. Uh, the thing I really liked today, and you said about the position, was just his reaction times. So you can see that this boy has got some pace. You know, he could be Dan James on this left-hand side, or he does play on the right as well, but with the added skill factor. So imagine if you did have a Dan James who could really kind of dribble with the ball. I'm kind of doing Dan James a disservice there because he had dribbled from the halfway line today and scored. So someone with better ball ability, yeah. But someone who's, ju- who's just maybe got that more natural talent to to make those attacking decisions on a regular basis. 
it 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 was a nice first look at him. Uh, but there's a long way to go. You know, he, I don't, he's not the answer to Manchester United season, whether that be kind of challenging City at the top. We know that there's now a, a gulf between us and them in terms of the Premier League. So there's been a few people saying to me, oh, will, will Ahmed be the kind of changing point of that? You know, taking United to the next level to kind of challenge for the title this season? No. But I do think that next season, he might well be. He might be a guy that comes in and gives you a little bit more value uh, in that front four. And Ole's not going to change his system particularly that much next term. You know, he might play 4-3-3 a few more times. But 4-2-3-1 does suit Ahmed. It's the kind of style of football he can do. And it was nice to see him track back today. That shows that whatever he's doing in training is actually going in here. And it's actually something that he's kind of replicating in a real-world scenario. Yeah, I do agree with that. Uh, it's a nice comment here from Sherlock Gnomes saying, I remember the first year of Ronaldo. We were all in the stand screen for him to cross and pass. Yeah, it was about four million step overs, wasn't there, Rob? Rob, a, an interesting question here um, from Urwa saying, Lindorf likes to go deep, <clears throat> meaning we invite pressure on. And Gary Neville also hinted it, it last week. We did mention that. Uh, one of the main reasons why we can see that goal, um, the defence didn't step out. And to couple that with um, Green Devil's question as well, thoughts on buying, making Maguire look better and more comfortable. We've seen a different team and then partnering each other. I'm going to be a bit controversial here, Rob, and I do not think Bailly was particularly outstanding today. Actually, I thought he was shaky. Um, I think Bailly, when he has played this season, has complemented Maguire better. But I just don't see what fans are seeing. I, I feel like fans are seeing just as if Bailly's all-encompassing and he's, you know, he's, he's completely transforming defence when he plays. But I don't see that, Rob. I'm not as convinced with Bailly as a lot of other people are. And I think, while I'm not being negative on him, I don't see him as well as a, the long-term solution in the in the defence. I don't see him as a long-term solution, but I totally agree with what Green Devil said there, in the sense that, does a player, stylistically, can they help Maguire be more comfortable and appear less exposed. And that's exactly what I've been talking about probably for two years, you know, the best part of two years anyway. When you look at all of the defensive partnerships United have had, there's always some kind of fragility somewhere there. You know, it doesn't matter who it is, which two it is. You know, you can even go back to Smalling and Jones years and years and years ago. And you can say, yeah, you know, they can do X, Y and Z really well. However, if they get caught in this scenario against this kind of attack, then they're going to concede goals. So I think that there is a there is merit to actually look at what Bailly can offer in the short term. and then you kind of make your choices next season after the summer transfer window. Um, you said earlier on that you think that he'll, he might go back to Lindelof. If Bailly can stay fit and prove that he is fit, because this is the problem, it's a continuing issue with Eric Bailly. If he can stay fit, then he can challenge and start. And I think that Ole would like to start him more. I think that stylistically, Bailly suits Maguire better. I think in... Again, in real world terms, it's going to be Maguire plus one this season. You know, forget about dream transfers and, you know, Sergio Ramos's and, you know, Upamecano's and players we've all talked about over and over again and Kubai's. Forget about that. Forget, think about this game, the next game and what happens from there. Uh, I think Bailly can offer Maguire something in terms of just feeling that he's got some pace next to him. You know, Victor Lindelof is not a bad footballer, but like the comment there said about dropping deep, today you might have seen that. So say if you'd had Lindelof there and Maguire, you might have found that they both just started three or four yards deeper. 
that would have then affected your double pivot. That means Fred would have had to have come deeper. That means that McTominay would have had to have plugged more channels. What you actually saw today was that they kind of they were deep, but they held their lines better. And it allowed United to progress up the pitch really, really quickly. You can't do that when your centre-backs are too deep. What we did see today, and I really liked it, is when the ball went from Henderson to one of the centre-backs or to one of the full-backs, United got up the pitch in five seconds flat with three passes. That's what that play is designed to do. That's what that is. When you when you go from feet to feet to feet, you go from goal kick to the corner, up the pitch and back inside, tactically, that is what that's designed to do. United have not been very good at it in the past. And we've seen them kind of make a big mess of it, haven't we? It's, it's happened over and over again. Whereas today against a passing team like Sociedad, United did it well. And it, they, they, went up to it, they looked a lot more confident. But when you're scoring goals and you look, you know, lethal on the counter-attack, confidence tends to kind of exude out of you. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Rob, we're going to take a bit of a different question here from Cohen. Any other publications which we could which we could consume that would grow our knowledge of the game? We will have a website soon, so Rob will be writing some articles on there. So that will be the best place to go. But um, yeah, do you have any recommendations? It's really, really difficult because I think you find that there are there's lots of people now doing tactical stuff. And when we decided to do this podcast, it's something that I've spoken about maybe for three or four years, is that tactics can be the most boring part of the game. They really can be. I get why people look at a heat map and go, oh, a heat map. What I would what I would try and get fans to do is to kind of invest yourself in a good stats website like Who Scored Like We Use or something similar and start soaking up some of that more technical information. I'm not talking about just about XGs. Obviously, things like that are popular and people want to talk about XGs. And there's, there's reasons why that's become an important part of the game statistically. But actually look at what each individual player does. So I think Paul Pogba is a really good example for this, is that when people were saying in the last X amount of years, Paul Pogba has been playing badly, you could actually go and look at his stats and see what he was doing to make an impact on the football pitch. And when you see that a player who is supposedly lazy has run more than everyone else that statistic should tell you a lot so this is what I would like maybe our viewers to do and it's obviously great if one's here wants to talk about a football match Manchester United won 4-0 we'll talk about the kind of breakdown of tactics the selection what Ole was thinking why it worked but it's good for fans to actually have that information at their own fingertips because I think that's how we we kind of grow our own ideas. And I know as a football fan, first and foremost, that's how I was when I made the transition to being a journalist. I had to look at stuff that maybe I didn't look at before because we're all heart, aren't we? So that's what I would say for people to do. There are lots of good books out there. Just get reading, become students of the game. And I think that's the best way to learn about football is to kind of look at the tactics and keep an open mind because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might not be Pep Guardiola, but he has got tactics. And before this game, I saw a few podcasts going out all saying the same rubbish as they all tend to do. And that is, oh, I don't trust Ole because he's got no tactics. It's just regressive to say it's 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 more backwards than any tactic it's on a football pitch. Rob, though, isn't it? So the frustrating thing, oh, there's no patterns of play. It's just rubbish. It's just buzzwords. Like, of course, there's patterns of play. You don't get to third in the Premier League. You don't sit at the top of the Premier League this season without patterns of play. You know, it's just absolute nonsense. And unfortunately, that is the mainstream view. And that's why we did the the podcast, Rob. And another thing as well, I do want to say is there's a fine line between 
um, statistics and also using your eyes because, you know, this is also a good source. And I do think that what we didn't want to do with this show is that we didn't want to be, we didn't want to make it overcomplicated. We wanted to digest, you know, the tactics and the statistics in an enjoyable way. And I think what people can get um, caught up in is that when it's so number driven, and sometimes you say it to me sometimes like, oh, Rob, you know, for example, oh, you know, um, Bruno had 60% passing uh, completion. And you turned to me and said, yeah, but you got two goals and assist. So it's about knowing, you know, when the statistics are important and actually when sometimes it's just about using your eyes and, and you know, breaking the game down like that. Yeah, the eye test is always important because that's really the, the big judgment. You know, if someone looks like they're playing well um, or doesn't look like they're playing well, then you can kind of open your mind as to why. And that was another reason why we did this podcast. And so what I tend to find with any football match is that most games will be decided by one or two core tactics. So today, Manchester United won the game because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer looked at Real Sociedad and went, I'm going to counterattack on them. And that would have been practiced in training and they would have worked on it and you would have seen why this game turned out as it did. It doesn't just happen. And I think some fans do think that this, it all just manifests on the pitch and, you know, they don't talk about it. Then, you know, they're not sure what they're doing. And then there's like four really good goals and you go, Oh, you won four nil. Well, no, there's a big plan that goes into all of these things. Dan James would have been primed for this game. They'd have been said, we need you to do X, Y and Z today, Dan. And you need to do it effectively because if you give the ball away in those areas, they're going to cut through us and we're going to be in trouble. Well, what you saw today with Dan James did it really well. And I think the whole team kind of did it quite well. Tactically, I think the two players that maybe suffered the most today for me, and it was just in that first 20, 25 minutes, was Wambasaka, we've talked about him before, and Baye, like you highlighted. And I think both of them, Baye looked like he'd been out the team. You know, he looked a little bit jaded, a little, little bit flat. And I think Wambasaka tends to suffer when whoever's inside him changes. So he's had Lindelof inside. He's got used to that for two or three or four weeks. And now he's got Baye again. And you could see that his spacing was off. And that it was, he, he just, his positional sense for, a def- I'm told all the time that he's a great defender. Yes, he's a great tackler. I don't think defensively he's particularly switched on to the nuance of positioning. And he needs to be. And that's something he'll learn. I'm not kind of giving him any... Uh, flack for that I think that's just something he'll learn as a younger player Um, but besides that I think all of the tactics work today and as I said it generally comes down to one or two things United just knew today that if they ran at real Sociedad it didn't matter how much of the ball Sociedad had they were going to hurt them and it was good that the finishing was on today because that's not been there the last few weeks I think we've had games where where we have scored goals but we've also missed lots of opportunities today we could have won 10-0 we know this we did actually win 9 0 the other day, so I must be careful about that. Um, but, you know, this was a game here where you just want to win. There are away goals, and you want to kind of take yourself into the next round. United will feel that they've done that and they've got their tactics 100% correct. Spot on. And lovely comment here from Heli saying, I've learned so much from this masterclass. I finally understood the double pivot. Thanks to Rob. I, mean, I think another misconception, Rob, is that everyone thinks, everyone thinks everything's a double pivot. You see people say, oh, why are we playing with two DMs? All, all this sort of thing. And I think. One of the one of the key things as well is to just look at things objectively. That's what we try to do. Take take the emotion out, take the the bias out, you know, and then then you'll create, you know, uh, well, the podcast will be more enjoyable. You don't get too high, don't get too low, as your favorite catchphrase. Um, so yeah, no, we, we do really appreciate obviously all the, all the great questions. But Rob, I do want to touch on a topic right at the end. Um, 
while it's not really related to the game. But um, you saw the article with Mason Greenwood today. It's really disappointing to see things like that. Um, you know, he's a kid, as we've spoken many times in this podcast, who's had such a difficult time off the pitch. I mean, I thought he was he's looked really, really good the last month or so. What I like about him is he's developed his game. He looks stronger, more creative. Um, you know, Ollie's managing him well. But articles like that, and I tweet today, and I'm not saying all journalism is like this because you're a journalist and you're obviously not like this. It's not fair to do general sweeping statements. But but articles like that have nothing to do with football. They're in a character assassination. It's just uh, it's just wrong. And unfortunately, Rob, Manchester United have had this many, many times. I will bring this up. Mason Greenwood is black. And I do think that the treatment of black players by the British media in general is is definitely different uh, to, to young white players. Uh, it's just really disappointing. And, it, you know, it, it corrupts the masses, Rob, because it's a big publication. You know, they have an influence on the way people think. And unfortunately, I do think that this person who's written it will not be punished. I mean, editors probably want him to write something like that. It's just a sad situation, really, for me. Well, he won't be punished because he's been commissioned by his editors to write it. So he hasn't just written it. <laughs> you know, he's been he's, he's on a job. So they tell him to they want this written and he goes and writes it and does it the best job that he can do. Um, I, I think it's important, first of all, to explain to our viewers because there'll be, you know, I know we're kind of assuming that people, that everyone knows what we're talking about, but they probably don't because not everyone who watches the masterclass is from the UK and they don't obviously everyone read the Telegraph. Um, but obviously there was a, an article put out today which um touched on Mason Greenwood signing his new contract at Manchester United. Obviously, it's a four-year contract with an extra year, uh, so it's a five-year deal overall. And the question of the article was, we know that Mason Greenwood's probably going to be a really good footballer, but, and inverted commas, what type of man will he be in five years' time? That was the direct quote. You know, what kind of man will Mason Greenwood be in five years? Now, the first thing that that implies is that the man that Mason Greenwood is today, that there's a problem. And the article touched, obviously, upon the the two girls that he met up with, with a certain Manchester City player, Phil Foden. Um, again, the kind of description of how that went about was skewed and wasn't particularly accurate. And the other thing that people that was talked about in the article was his timekeeping. Now, we've had to debunk all of this consistently because Manchester United have debunked it. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has debunked it. There is nothing wrong with his timekeeping. But we do tend to find that black players, black men specifically in British society, are held to a higher standard and to a higher account than their white counterparts. Now, I'm not going to stand on a soapbox and say that this article was racist. I'm not going to do it because when when you kind of look at the lay of the land, this is what happens to people of colour in the UK. It's not new. This is an editorial decision. This is not writers writing racism. It's not. So that's why I don't want to call it that. What it is is a racist system. This is systemic racism. So today, um, Wilfred Zaha just said that he no longer supported Black Lives Matter and was no longer going to take the knee because he didn't feel, he felt degraded by it, that black people shouldn't have to do it. But the reason why black people do this is exactly what's happening to Mason. And that is it's a protest against the system. It is not I'm not going to stand there in front of you in society and say to you that hand on my heart, I'm okay with how things are. 
I'm going to take the knee, not because I'm being subservient, but I'm going to take the knee in protest and not stand with you. And that's what that's about. So with this article today, it's nothing new. It's not, we've not, you know, it's not kind of, there was no content in there that was explosive or over the top. However, some editor has decided to publish that and push that. And it is a narrative. And it's making out that there is an issue at Manchester United or a potential issue with a black player. Now, they don't mention that he's black. That's not a thing. You know, they're not in the article, you know, being overtly racist or obvious. But we're not idiots. Yeah, this is not new. This is how newspapers treat people of colour in the UK. And we will fight it. That's how it is. We will defend Mason. We will defend ourselves and we will defend our colleagues uh, who are of the same skin colour. Someone said to me, how dare you make a comment on it, Rob, when you're white? White? I'm not Someone said that to you. Someone tweeted me that, but I get that all the time because, you know, people sometimes really difficult to look at a picture or an avatar, isn't it? You know, to before you open your gob. Um, but that's how it is. You know, we we live in strange times. Um, and this is kind of where, you know, we talk about maybe Twitter and the harvesting of racism on there and the issues that we have, you know, after games. So, you know, Anthony Marshall has a bad game and then gets racially abused. Axel 2 and Xavier makes one error and gets abused. They're one part of things we have to solve. But hey, I think the traditional media have a lot to answer for because they fuel it. And if they continually write things like this, you said about fueling the masses, it doesn't need to fuel the masses. It just needs to fuel one person and it's wrong. And that's the issue is that hearts and minds are on the line here and we see it all the time. Um, Will it stop? In my lifetime, in your lifetime, I probably think no, but it doesn't mean that we won't protest against it. I hope players continue taking the knee. It is a protest against systemic racism and systemic racism is everything from being beaten up by police officers in the United States as it is to having your name besmirked in a British newspaper for no reason at all, except for the color of your skin. We love Mason. He's going to be a superstar. He's going to do a lot of things in our shirt with our badge on the chest. And we'll all be stood there in those stadiums supporting him, singing his name. He loves being at United. We love him being at United. We love all of our players. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or whatever. It doesn't matter what country you're from. That's not why we all do it or sing songs for players. Um, and we will stay like that because that's the way we have to be. Uh, and just shame on all those editors and all those newspapers that sell this kind of faux prejudice to Britain just because it has a kind of Brexit agenda about how we should be as British people. You know, we're all British at the end of the day. It doesn't matter about the colour of your skin. Fantastic. I mean, I could not have said it better myself. There's a few comments here. Heli saying they had a go at Diallo as well regarding falsifying his documents in Italy. Yeah, I mean, let's story, talk about that just quickly. Yeah, sorry. Pretty, pretty harrowing. I mean, and We'll go that go to that in a sec, Rob. But Jonathan's got a good point here as well. The editorial article written about Flex, that was disgusting as well. I mean, you know, it's just uh, targeting him purely because of the colour of his skin and he's successful. It's really, really wrong. But let's go back to this one, Rob, about Diallo. I mean, that, I mean, reading that story, you know, there is a problem with trafficking children from Africa, with selling them the dream that you're going to become a footballer and then... They go to Europe and then there's there's no football club, there's no football trial. Um, you know, this is a real problem. But the way that it was reported was as if Diallo was 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 a criminal. 
it's just so so wrong i mean you probably know more of an inside scoop onto that but um it was it known to manchester united that this was the case with diallo was it known that he was you know living with people that weren't his parents in italy manchester united knew from the offset that there would be no issue with this case because the main the main issue was that diallo was a kid he was a child he didn't smuggle himself into europe did he you know, and and this is kind of the, the the bones of the case. Now, yes, he was given a fine because the documents that were originally used were falsified. They weren't falsified as in he went out and got them falsified. It was, again, part of this long-term investigation into child trafficking, which he was a part of. That's not his fault. Um, the way it was staged in the British press was to say that he was like some kind of illegal immigrant, you know, crossing the seas to come over here and take off football shirts, you know, and become a rich millionaire. It's rubbish. It's, 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 it's heinous. And, and again, just touching on the, the flex article. Again, this is kind of, I think this is a kind of not just a skin color issue, but it's a generational issue. And you look how football has changed. Here we are doing a tactical podcast about Manchester United talking about, you know, the, the depths of our game and how United set up. It was only two, three, four, five years ago, this kind of podcast wouldn't have existed. You know, people wouldn't have talked about them. We didn't talk about it like We talked more in tabloid terms, which was, oh, you know, Joe Bloggs had a good game today, didn't he? Didn't he? Wasn't that a great pass? You know, and that was how football was put to the masses. And let's be honest, some pundits still do that on the television. We, we know who they are. But we try and do something a little bit differently. So there is a change in the times. And obviously some of the guys on fan channels, some of them are great. Some of them are awful. Some of them really get their point across articulate, you know, with, with true articulation. Others play roles where you kind of look at it and you think to yourself, why are you doing that? You don't need to do that. Some of them know loads about football and some of them know nothing about football. It's a wide kind of spectrum of people who talk about football now. And that was what that article was kind of um directed at with flex kind of trying to say well here you are you're a guy with a baseball cap you can't kind of possibly know anything about football the same things because you you broke into this industry you weren't you didn't go and study did you at university you weren't one of them you no no i was a writer so i don't think they really know uh, yeah, no, 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 the way I started it, I started the faithful, uh, and I had I had a blog years ago, twelve years ago, called View from Tier Three, and I wrote, and that was how it was. I didn't write for anyone; I wrote for me. You know, I just kind of wrote for a very, very small audience, and had a very small Twitter following of like maybe you know two, three, four, five hundred people. This is twelve years ago. It's kind of how it started for me, uh, and I can remember going to some industry things in the early days, and I might rock up in a tracksuit or in a kind of baseball cap and everyone would be there in maybe shirts and ties and all of this. And it was a little bit like, who's this? Who's this person here? And what you tend to find is that, yeah, you know, people of color weren't really in the industry. I remember being told specifically by a journalist that people of color don't do journalism. Heard that a lot. And that's something that obviously has been, completely wiped away over the last few years you know there's a there's a proof there however this industry is still very much white so when we talk about the things that we just talked about with mason in football it is something that's bigger than just being on the football pitch so i i think with that article about flex it was obviously um inaccurate it was wholly unfair it was ridiculous but 
when someone makes those claims, it's good because we can completely rip them down and burn them to shreds. And everybody knows the truth. So you might like someone's content. You might dislike someone else's content. The guys here, you know, with us here watching the masterclass, all of you, you, you obviously like the show. That's why you're doing it. And there'll be other shows happening now on fan channels that people will like there. Every, everything has its place. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, and some of the traditional media do not like that. But that's tough. I've done both. I'm from the traditional media. I'm also from this side of the coin. I can do both. And, and I like doing both. And what you tend to find is that some of the media feel very, very threatened about the new wave of journalism in football. It's tough. It's here to stay. You're going to have to get used to it. If you see me on a screen like that, I'm going to be wearing a hat. It's just the way it is. I'm sorry. Absolutely. I mean, look, we're getting some love here. Soko, yes, we love the show. Um, and spot on Rob, love you guys. Jonathan makes a good point here. Love what Ian Wright said about female pundits has made him research and raise his game. I think Alex Scott is absolutely fantastic, Rob. But the problem is that, you know, there's this view of uh, political correctness and all this rubbish. And it's just really, really unfair. I mean, Heli has a good point here. I'm not going to read out the last <laughs> last bit of it. But even female United fans who have a nerve to discuss football, they are something and vibes. It's really, really unfair. There's a lot of yeah. really, really knowledgeable so many on twitter female fans and unfortunately there is a there is a demographic that uh, don't like the that football isn't just you know to a certain certain person you know there's different ways of supporting the club there's different different fans and unfortunately that's sort of the times we live in rob but rob let's go on to the final final question and uh, it's from joseph here so it's looking ahead to our next game it's newcastle which as i said at the beginning the game on the weekend is it's huge you know i need to get back to winning ways we've I think we can forget, I'm going to say this, I'm going to forget about the title. It's not about that. It's about finishing as high as possible as we can, focusing on each game as they come. We're looking behind us. Chelsea are building up some form as well. What would you be doing? In, what would you like to see in terms of the starting lineup? Would you like to see Oli go with something similar tonight? Uh, you know, with a similar sort of front three. Or would you like him to revert to what he knows best? You know, sort of maybe Lindelof coming back in. Newcastle are going to sit back deep. It's at Old Trafford. They're going to be hard to break down. They're not exactly much of a goal threat. Uh, touch words. I don't want to jinx it. Uh, but United will have to will have to have majority of the ball, probably majority of territory, and they've got to be intricate. They've got to be passing the ball, um, you know, from side to side quickly, trying to break down that low block. Yeah, it will be a low block and we know what Newcastle are going to try and do. I want Ole to be boring. And what I mean by boring is that we don't need to see some kind of radical rotation. You know, I, th I know that people watch Pep and Pep kind of changes six players every game and then like brings on Kevin De Bruyne in a kind of 60th minute in a game and you kind of go, oh, that's where they are. That's not where we are. So yes, there'll be times to rotate, generally through injury or fatigue. You know, Ole, again, I talk about getting the fitness reports and the, and the sports science reports. Uh, and that dictates a lots of things. But United are going to play 4-2-3-1. They're going to play double pivot. You might find that McTominay, who had a knock today, doesn't play. So you might see Matic in there with Fred. You're not magically going to see Donny start. It's just not going to happen, even if he is fit. Um, you will probably see Luke Shaw come back into the team. There is a chance at Lindelof start. So I think you might play with Baye just to have the pace to cover if Baye is fit. And then when you look at the front four, they kind of pick themselves, don't they? You're probably going to go with Cavani if he's fit. If he's not fit, you might go with Mason. 
Rashford and Bruno are almost definitely going to start. And then you kind of got to pick between maybe Mason and Martial. What I will say is Martial came on just that last kind of little cameo and he looked okay. He looked kind of confident, nice touch. Um, didn't have to do a lot. You know, you've won the game, the game is over, but he still has to come on and do a specific role just to get United over the line and be part of that. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him start as the number nine. Ole is not going to stop giving people opportunities. That's what he does. That's the kind of manager he is. He wants to empower people. He doesn't want them to kind of feel that that once they're out of the team, that they never get back in. Uh, when Mata came back in today, there is the outside chance that he gets minutes. I wouldn't, I'd be more surprised if he starts, but I think that it'll, he it'll might. Be a game to play though, Rob, because I think he's someone who you do want, you know, he's got, he's got the footballing brain. He's got the intricacy, you know, as you say, you know, he can pick the lock. I mean, him off the right, it's, it's not a bad option to have. I mean, do you know, why hasn't he been there? Because this question has been asked a lot. Is it, you know, they talk about this sort of he's had time away. Is it something the club haven't disclosed? The club haven't disclosed most of it. And I and I think, I don't know, I can't tell you the ins and outs of it, except that there's no issue. So what I mean by that is he's not being punished. He's not being, you know, isolated out of the, the, the squad when he trains. He's with the first team. So all of that is there. You saw him today, I think, before the game. Big smiles, happy to be involved, came on today. So there is obviously a chance that he does give you something on the right and that you do play him. But I do think that when you play Matter and Bruno, it becomes a different kind of game. So it slows down. It, it stops being maybe with the same pace going forward. Uh, and it changes the outlook of the 4-2-3-1. It becomes a more difficult game to go from back to front with Matter in there. And I don't think Matter is a long-term option for United. I do think that he is a kind of guy that you might see being the, the Bruno replacement if Bruno gets a knock or if Bruno needs a rest. You could even see, you know, if there is going to be a shock, this might be where Bruno goes and sits on the bench and you play Matter as the 10, um, because he can do that. But I doubt that. I think that in this scenario now, United need to win matches. Win it 1-0. Win every game 1-0 to the end of the season, and I will be happy because we're in the business end. When you're talking about business, go out there and do the job, no matter how it is. Don't It doesn't have to be flash. You don't have to do what Man City are doing, which is obviously phenomenal. You have to go out and win games. And what we've seen in United is that performances have been okay at times, but they've lost that consistency of just winning matches and they need to recapture that. And I would like to see, say, say the next five or six games, including the tough matches in there, I want to see maximum points. That's what I want to see. It doesn't have to be the greatest performances, but go out there, play six, seven, eight games like City have done and go and get maximum points and then be back in the conversation. So even if you don't win the title, which I don't think we will, at least we're in the top four comfortably and maybe you get to two, three, four, five games before the end of the season. And if the title was gone, you're resting, rotating. And that's when you give players an opportunity. Absolutely, Rob. I think what United need to do is they need to put themselves in a position where if, and it's a massive, massive if, City do slip up, we're going to take advantage. That's all we can do. We can't, it's no point saying, oh, talking about, oh, well, if we'd done this in this game, we, you know, if we'd beaten Sheffield United, if we'd beaten Everton, look, it's done now. It's frustrating. We know why we are where we are. We're not quite there to win the title. We've been saying this for weeks, but there's clear progression. What the what the boys need to do now and what Oli needs to make sure that the boys do is we, we get that second spot or finish as high as possible because that is a good step in the next direction. I think Champions League football, we haven't done it back to back at all since Sir Alex Champions League, which is absolutely crazy. Um, so anyway, Rob, 
let's just, wrap up. One more um, thing, just for sorry, just any, jump anything in. Anything else you want to say? Any last yeah, just, words? I just want to address Hello's comment because you, you said something, and I want to just some, add something to that. Um, you go to Old Trafford, you know, and some of us are lucky to go all the time. It's men, women, and children. Yeah, it's not just men. Really isn't. Now, football is a very sexist sport. Do you know what I mean? And it's how it is. And I totally agree with Hele that, that the sense that, that women are kind of ostracized in this bigger conversation and that they don't know anything about football. The people I know at Old Trafford and the women that I know there, they know a hell of a lot about the game. The students of, of, of our football club, they know more about tactics and lots and lots of blokes that I know about. So I think we kind of do have a kind of equal opportunities there for, for more women to, to do punditry and talk about the game because there's plenty of women out there who know loads about football. And I'm, I'm friends with, uh, Lynn Sanson, who does lots with Sky and played for England, obviously. She's a big Man United fan, ex footballer. And, and she knows tons and tons and tons about the game. And that's how it should be. You know, it should be about someone's quality of their knowledge rather than what sex they are. Thank you very much for all your fantastic comments and thank you for your, all your brilliant, brilliant insights. It's been really, really good. Make sure you come and join us on Sunday. We will be back. Hopefully Manchester United win. Have a nice evening and we will see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.